I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to La Liga Lowdown, our Match Day 7 recap podcast. I'm Sam Leverage and I'm joined here by Tom Harris. How are you doing, Tom? Really good. Thank you, Sam. Looking forward to getting stuck into this week. We've had some of the best games I think we're going to see all season, really. We'll, we'll get onto those later on, but yeah, lots to talk about. Yeah, plenty to talk about and a new leader at the top of La Liga, which I'm sure some of our listeners will be very happy to hear. And also a very special weekend for some players like Coque. I mean, Coque made his 550th appearance for Atletico Madrid, giving him the record number of appearances for the club. I mean, you can you can read all about that story because I could talk about it for hours, but Matt Clark is covering it in our newsletter, which is going out on Monday morning. So stay tuned for that and head to lalegalowdown.substack.com to read more about it. But first, let's dig into all of the action, starting off with the stuff that we had on Friday night as we head to San Nico! A huge win for Athletic. Loads of storylines in this one. I mean, Nico and Iñaki assisting each other, the, the brother connection. And also another four goals scored for Athletic Club. I mean, that's three times in seven games that they've scored four under Ernesto Valverde this season, which matches the same number of times they did that under Marcelino the whole time he was there. I mean, just how impressed have you been by Athletic this season? Yeah, they look really, really good, don't they? And and 16 goals in seven games, that's the most they've scored at this point of the season in 63 years. So it's a really incredible attacking performance from them. And, you know, we knew that Ernesto Valverde was an attack-minded manager, but it's just been incredible to see just how he's unleashed this side. Um, they're so fearless, so aggressive on the ball. And, yeah, I mean, the conversion of Oyen Sanset into this kind of deep midfield role has been really brave, and but he's been excellent at timing those runs into the box. And, it, and it's very noticeable how many players they just seem to cram between the lines in these attacks. You know, there always seems to be at least five players between the opposition midfield and defence, Sanset being one of them kind of joining from deep. And you can see yesterday with Almeria, they were just finding it really difficult just to track the sheer amount of mon- uh, runs being made, really. So... 
that second goal, you know, Oyen Sanset, as we said, he was, you know, demanding the ball. It was played right between the, the midfield and the defence into his path. And yeah, really quick combinations as well. They're just really, really good to watch. And, you know, they were helped by quite a passive Almeria performance, I thought. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what happens when they come up against better sides and if Oyen Sanset can do the work defensively in the midfield. Um, but yeah, it's a very high-risk strategy and they're, they're getting their rewards at the moment. Yeah, and I mean, I think there's one player that we have to touch on after the international break and and how he came back from that international break as well, which is Nico Williams. I mean, we saw him quite a lot last season. He had 34 appearances in a league last season for Athletic. We didn't register a goal or an assist. And seven games in this season, he's already got three goals and two assists. I mean, just how big a talent is he? Could Nico be better than Inyaki? Oh, well, that remains to be seen. I mean, <laughs> I think he's got very um, big shoes to to fit into Nico Williams, but the confidence is definitely there at the moment. I think with the um, the goal that we were talking about, where they uh, in, uh, Nico provided the assist for Inyaki, you could see that the second he got the ball, he was looking to cut in, you know, back onto his left foot and whip the ball in, which is something that we've not really seen from Nico Williams in in the last season. Um, you know, Inyaki Williams kind of has the, the pace and the power and the running power, which is it was so impressive and, you know, really adds a lot to this athletic team. I don't think Nico Williams is ever going to have that, but he's going to have a lot of pace and trickery and, and direct football from the wing. So it'll be very interesting to see. But yeah, long, you know, may it continue that these two brothers are performing to such high level alongside each other. All right, so let's move on from a prolific goal-scoring team to quite the opposite, your team, Villarreal. I mean, this is this Cali game was almost very similar to the Sevilla game in that VRL really deserved a lot more, but again, just couldn't finish their chances. Yeah, it's so frustrating. I mean, if we, if we look back to last season, you know, they they lost away to Alaves, who finished twentieth, Levante nineteenth, Cadiz seventeenth, and Elche. And if you look at Villarreal's direct competitors, so Real Betis, they won all four of those games last season. So that's 12 points straight away that Real Betis have gained on Villarreal. Real Sociedad, they slipped up in a few of those games, but still managed to pick up seven points. Um, you know, so you can slip up against these sides, but not as consistently as Villarreal are doing because they got zero points from those four games and they ended up finishing three and six points behind those two sides respectively last season. So it really makes a massive difference. And obviously this season they've drawn to... Hetafe, uh, who were who were struggling at the time, obviously the Coliseum is a difficult place to go to, but they should have won that game as well. Cadiz today, and you know it's a trend that seems to be continuing, and you know they need to start winning these winnable games away from home if they're going to qualify for Champions League. Yeah, and I mean Tom, I mean I've got a few questions for you. I mean I was a bit baffled by Unai Emery's approach to this game. I mean nil nil obviously was the final scoreline, but we had Giovanni Lo Celso kind of acting as a makeshift striker. Obviously, Gerard Moreno is out injured. Arnaud Danjuma is coming back from injury, so he got about 25 minutes, I think it was. I mean, Jose Luis Morales has been in pretty impressive form in the European games that he's played, but only got seven minutes at the end of this game. Jeremy Pino left on the bench. I mean, what was Unai Emery thinking? Did he just trust in his players he had out there, or...? Yeah, the, the Jose Luis Morales one is a bit baffling, to be honest, because obviously Unai Emery knows more than we do. He sees him in training every week, and obviously Jose Luis Morales as well is, is I think he's 36 years old, so he needs to be managed. But it did seem that he was a bit reluctant to really unleash the attacking powers that he had. There was a good tweet from Andy West, actually, who, who commentated on the game, who said that, it seems as if Emery just wants complete control and structure all the time. You know, his teams are excessively cautious. They want 
to have the ball and they want to build up in the way that they want to build up. And that Villarreal should have destroyed Cadiz, but Emery didn't let them. And that's what it seemed to be a case of yesterday. You know, that they were looking to control the game when really, if you look at how Athletic Club, who we were just talking about, went to Cadiz and won 4-0, you know, we know what Villarreal are capable of doing away from home. Obviously, they beat Atletico Madrid. They beat Barcelona last season. It feels as if Emery should maybe just give these attacking players like Jeremy Pino, like Morales, like Dan Juma when he comes back, a bit more attacking freedom. Yeah, exactly that. And I mean, speaking of attacking freedom, let's move on to what I think is undoubtedly the best game in Europe this weekend. I mean, we had the North London derby, the Manchester derby, Inter Roma. Bayern versus Leverkusen. It was Hitafe via the lead, the best game of the weekend. I mean, did you watch it? I mean, what did you make of? I think everybody was expecting this to be a low scoring affair, but in the end, it was a 3 2 win for via the lead and really back and forth kind of ping pong tennis like action. Yeah, I was expecting it to be a low scoring game, and I was also expecting a Hitafe win, to be honest. I mean, they looked as if they had a bit of an upturn in form um, before the international break, and we know how strong they are at the Coliseum. But I really enjoyed Real Valladolid's performance. And I think if you look at Valladolid, you know, compare them to someone like Almeria who are struggling for goals at the moment. The thing I love about Valladolid is that they just take shots. <laughs> they just have so many shots from all over the pitch. I think most of the players, probably nine out of the 11 players, had a, a shot at some point yesterday. Um, so it was it was 14 yesterday. It was 18 the weekend before the international uh, break against Cadiz. Obviously, they ended up losing that game, but today they had their just rewards and, you know, they ended up scoring three goals. And it just seems, you know, by sheer force that they're going to carve out these opportunities and they're going to score goals. And, you know, it happened at Huesca um, under Pacheta in 2020-2021. They had a lot of shots as well. You know, fair play to them. They've, they've not got, you know, the strength and depth that other teams have got, but they're going to give it a go every single time. And they look like a really galvanised group who are really up for the fight. Yeah, it was nine different Valladolid players who managed the shot. So pretty, pretty impressive. And I mean, Hitafe as well were a little bit worrying because I think in that first half, they were pretty impressive and kind of looked up to it. But in the second half, they just didn't seem to have a reaction to that Oscar Plano goal, which was really well taken. I mean, they just kind of looked a little bit zapped of energy and a little bit dead on their feet. I mean, Enes Ronal has kind of returned to the Enes Ronal of old. I mean, last season we saw him scoring from all over the place. This season he's back to more what he used to be like of missing chances. His penalty record, I think he's now missed three of his last six penalties, which he stepped up again. And it could have been three all halfway through the second half. But I mean, for Hetafe, I mean, we spoke a lot about their transfer business in the summer and, and they had done really well. They brought in some good players, but it still looks like they're just not quite clicking. They're still missing a few key players. I mean, David Solier in goal hasn't covered himself in glory. And they've been a little bit inconsistent. I mean, do you think they're going to end up in that relegation battle or do you think they've got enough to stay in that kind of mid-table area? I think on paper they're they're definitely good enough to stay in that mid-table area and I think there are sides like Cadiz and Elche and Almeria who I worry for a bit more than I do Hitafe. but as you just mentioned with Venezuela, I mean I don't know if you saw during the international break but he, he had six shots against Luxembourg Missed three big chances, according to Sofa Score, um, today here against Valladolid. Seven shots, missed a penalty. You know, without Enezunal banging the goals like he did last season, Hetafe do miss a lot up front. And as much as I like Borja Mayoral, he he's not a goal scoring striker, and they do seem to pin a lot of their hopes on Enezunal scoring these goals. So I think 
if he can rediscover his form, and I think just as I was saying with Valladolid, I think by sheer force of will, he will do because he has so many opportunities. I think they'll be fine. But yeah, it is a bit disappointing at the moment because we did have such high hopes for them after their uh, transfer window. So now, speaking of relegation candidates, Tom, Sevilla. <laughs> Nobody quite expected Sevilla to be where they are. And in our pre-season preview, we did discuss that they weren't going to be quite in the European running as they have been in recent years. But, I mean, how how much of this game against Atletico, which ended 2-0 to Atleti, was Atleti being good and how much was Sevilla being bad? Yeah, to be fair to you, Sam, you did call it. <laughs> Very bold shout in the uh, preview pod at the start of the season. But, yeah, I, I think Sevilla, especially when Atleti went 2-0 up in that second half, it, it, it was laughable at times, really. I mean, there was absolutely no kind of pressure on the ball for Atletico Madrid. They could have scored 3-4-5-6, probably should have done. Um, and yeah, I just think from the outside looking in, looking at Lopetegui on the touchline, you know, we saw what happened um, against Almeria when they lost that game and Monchi had to come onto the pitch and plead with the fans and, you know, make sure that they were still behind this team. Well, when Lopetegui was inside in a press conference kind of slagging his players off, I, I think there is a bit of a disconnect at the moment. And Lopetegui yesterday, he was, he was screaming, he was running down the touchline, getting very angry and frustrated. And for me, he doesn't seem like the man to take Sevilla through this kind of rut that they're going through. He doesn't seem to be inspiring the players. And it just was all very flat yesterday. And the second that first Atletico goal went in, you could just see the deflation across the team. And there just seems to be a huge lack of belief at the moment. So to answer your question, I mean, I think it was a bit of both. I thought Atleti were good. Um, I really enjoyed seeing Marcos Llorente back in that more advanced position. I mean, he actually hadn't had a shot in La Liga before he took three yesterday and ended up scoring that first goal. And I think with Savic and Jimenez back in that, you know, back in that defence, allowing Llorente back into a more advanced position, Atletico Madrid look a much better side. Yeah, and on that, Leti, I think Diego Simeone said it after the game that yesterday's game, Saturday's game was about Atleti being a team again. And I think that was clear in his team selection. I mean, no Jao Felix, who struck off down the tunnel at the end of the game. But I think this was very much a team selection that was about the team about players that Diego Simeon knew he could count on to put in the hard work and and run and, and do all the kind of the dirty work. I think that's partly what Atletico have lost in the last couple of years. Maybe they've started to go for these kind of superstars and the egos and everything a little bit more than kind of the Juan Flans and the Felipe Luis kind of players that we used to see from Atletico. So I think it is almost a back to basics approach from from Diego Simeone. And on Lopetegui, I think I almost feel a little bit sorry for him to be honest. I mean. When you look at that squad, I mean, the team that he put out yesterday was pretty much the best team that he could put out. I mean, that includes Kike Salas at centre-back, who's a 20-year-old with very little first-team experience. Jose Angel Carmona, who played well, but again, another 20-year-old in that defence. Then you've got Tange Nanzu, who's 20 years old as well. I mean, this is a very young, very inexperienced team. And even Karim Rekic, who was playing at left-back, is a really um, natural left-back. I mean... This is just a bit of a mess at Sevilla, isn't it? I mean, I think we're all talking about Lopetegui, about what Lopetegui is doing wrong, and I think he could have done better. But at the same time, this is Lopetegui's fault. He's not the one who decided to sell Jules Conde and Diego Carlos and not really bring in an adequate replacement. I mean, how much of this is Lopetegui's fault and how much is the board's fault? Yeah, you, ha you have to point the finger at Monchi, which you know you don't often do when we're talking about Sevilla, but... 
especially in that Osasuna game in the opening weekend, it was before Nianzu had been signed. So Marcao was the only defensive kind of signing that was made. He's injured. And so Nemanja Gudeli had to play at centre-back and he was absolutely all over the place. Um, yeah, it, it's bad squad planning. I do feel sorry for Lopetegui, but at the same time, you know, I just don't get the best vibe at the moment that he is really connecting with the players and really helping to get them through this. And so while there probably tactically there isn't much more he could do, I do think that, you know, a change of coach, maybe a different face, a different voice, a different kind of source of inspiration might just be what Sevilla need at the moment. So let's move on to the last of Saturday's games, which was Mallorca nil Barcelona 1. A game which I think people were expecting a little bit more from Barcelona, but Mallorca were very Javier Aguirre, very in your face, very physical, and they made life difficult for, for Xavi and his players. Yeah, um, really good for Mallorca again. We, we've talked a lot about their recruitment on this podcast, and you know they actually out XG'd Barcelona yesterday. So according to Understat, it was 0.93 to Mallorca, 0.64 to Barcelona. But when you have Robert Lewandowski, you know, that sometimes there's nothing the opponents can do because that finish, you know, he had so much work to do when he got the ball. And when you're watching it on TV, you kind of knew exactly what he wanted to do. He wanted to cut inside. He wanted to bend it into that far corner. But you couldn't pick the ball up and put it more into the far corner than Robert Lewandowski did yesterday. So absolutely unstoppable. And you do think that if Mallorca, you know, on a different day, um, Jaime Costa missed a really, really good chance. Um, yeah, on a different day, they could have got something out of that game. But sometimes when you come up against teams like Barcelona with the players that they have, you just have to accept these defeats. Yeah, I mean, you said it there about Robert Lewandowski. I mean, Barcelona, of course, spent Saturday night top of La Liga. If it wasn't for Robert Lewandowski, if we think about this game being 12 months ago, I think this game would have ended 1-0 to Mallorca or 0-0 draw. It's the kind of game that we can say this is the change that Barcelona have undergone, that maybe it's too simplistic to say it's just Robert Lewandowski, but they do have that cussing edge that was so absent last season. Yeah, I, th I think you have to mention uh, Marc-Andre Stegen as well. I mean, he, he didn't have to make too many saves yesterday, even though Mallorca were on top, but it was a big save to deny Jaime Costa. You look at the XG this season and they're expected to concede 4.5 goals. They've only conceded one. I, I think that's quite gone under the radar, but they've conceded one goal so far. I mean, it, it's ridiculous. Real Madrid have conceded six. Um, they're doing so well defensively and Marc-Andre Stegen is a big part of that. Just a lot of players overperforming in the right areas. And obviously, when Lewandowski has an off day, which he very rarely does, you've got Usman Dembele, you've got Ferran Torres, you've got Ansu Fati, you've got all of these players coming in. So, yeah, it's looking very good for Barcelona. And obviously, they've, they've had a fantastic transfer window. They're strengthened well. But Xavi looks to be rotating this squad really, really well and getting the best out of his players. Great. So, yeah, thank you very much, Tom. Let's take a quick break and then we will be back shortly to discuss all of the action on Sunday including Real Madrid up against Osasuna, Espanyol, Valencia, Celta, Vigo, Betis, and Girona, Real Sociedad. So stay tuned. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. 
and it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Welcome back to the second half of our Match Day 7 recap podcast. And now we're going to take a look at the action that we had on Sunday, an action-packed Sunday of action. We started off with Espanyol versus Valencia, which, again, was another thrilling game with some real late drama. Espanyol going ahead in the 83rd minute with a rocket from Sergio Dalet. And then, of course, the 96th minute calamity from Alvaro Fernandez. I mean, Tom, that's got to be really hard to take for, a, for an Espanyol fan. Oh, absolutely terrible. I mean, the noise in the stadium as that goal went in really summed it up. There were just kind of screams of terror as the ball looped into the back of the net. Um, and from a you know from our perspective, watching it on TV, it was just, it was just incredible. There was a ball thrown in from the stand, which was bouncing in front of a camera. And then Eric Chomer, I think it was the one who scored in the end, just looping the ball up and over. It's a really difficult one to take, but. I think Espanyol have got to take the positives from this game. Um, obviously, they got off to a bit of a shaky start under Diego Martinez, but you know, in particular, Sergi Dader is, is is playing absolutely fantastically well. Jose Lu, I mean, we were speaking about Lewandowski's finish earlier on and how in the corner it was. I think Jose Lu's was even further in the corner. Absolutely brilliant finish. So they've got some good players there. They're playing some good stuff, and they gave Valencia a real good game. And yeah, they just will be devastated that they couldn't, you know, take home the three points in the end. Yeah, poor Alvaro Fernandez, who had a nightmare injury time. He made a mistake just before that, but he kind of put his hands up in an apology to their fans. I think kind of the best way of summarising it was what Gabriel Paulista, the Valencia defender, said after the game. He said, I don't know if this is a point one or two points dropped. And it was that kind of game where I think either team could have won it, really. But, I mean, it was a, a thrilling game to watch and a very entertaining end to it. I mean, we'll enter and stuff again and, and that's going to be a theme across the match day really the one game where maybe we didn't see as much of that as we might have hoped for was Celta Vigo against Real Betis I mean this was one that I had my eye on as a potential goal fest but Iago Aspas had a stomach bug and sat out and then it was actually Celta Vigo who surprised Betis I mean didn't see this result coming did you? No, I mean, like you, this was the game that I was most looking forward to today I thought two teams that are free scoring and Real Betis playing some brilliant stuff before the international break, but 
just one of those days, I think. I, th- I thought Celta Vigo were very up for it. I particularly, I know Gabriel Vega was the man who scored the goal. I particularly enjoyed his performance. I thought he was all over the place. And obviously, he's a Celta fan. He's from Vigo. And, and you can tell that he really enjoyed playing for his you know, his boyhood club. And then Jorgen Strand Larsen as well. He, he didn't have the best game today, I don't think. But I've been really impressed with him since he's come in from there. The Dutch league, I think it was Groningen. Um, really physical player and yeah, really looking forward to what he can do alongside Gonzalo Paciencia when he's back, Carlos Perez alongside Iago Aspas. I think there's some potential for some partnerships there. Yeah, and like Gabriel Vega and Fran Beltran in the midfield is a really dominant pairing up against a very good Real Betis midfield. We had Nabil Fikir coming back as a substitute. I mean, Luis Felipe, I'm not going to forgive him anytime soon for that red card. He got me minus 10 in my fantasy team. <laughs> so I mean, it was it was a weird one, wasn't it? I, mean, I thought there might have been a man coming around to cover, but in the end, not quite. And and VAR indicated that it was a red card. And then Betty's never really quite got back into the game. They'd pick up in the second half, but but not quite enough. And then we moved across to Catalonia, where I mean, earlier on we were talking about Valladolid and Hetafe, and that being the unexpected entertaining game of the weekend. But then Giordano Leo Sofia had eight goals. I mean. Not just eight goals, but eight brilliant goals. I mean, Rodrigo Riquelme's effort could be a goal of the season contender. Real Sociedad scoring five goals away from home for the first time since 2016. I mean, this is a Real Sociedad without Mikel Ayotabal, having lost Alexander Isak, without Momo Alicho. I mean, just where did this come from? I mean, Girona, we know they're very attacking and offensive, but it was a thrilling game. Yeah, I mean, my game of the weekend for sure. Um, I was at the Manchester derby as well, and I think this one tops it. That's how good it was. Absolutely end-to-end. And some of the football on show, I mean, particularly, well, I say particularly from both sides, really, but Real Sociedad, the speed at which they were moving the ball around and Mikel Marino and Zubi Mendy and David Silva and, and Take Kubo as well, we're going to have to mention him, how well he's done. Obviously, it's well documented how many clubs he's been at in Spain. It's not quite worked for him, but perhaps Real Sociedad is the place for him to finally flourish. I think uh, Rory Barlow wrote on our uh, Substack uh, an article about that, so make sure to go and check that out. But yeah, absolutely brilliant. And yeah, I think Girona kind of did play into Real Sociedad's hands, just playing this kind of expansive brand of football. But, you know, that is going to win them a lot of admirers, myself included. And I think we're going to see a lot more games with Girona involved with lots of goals. Yeah, I think Michelle is the kind of fan that you love to watch as a a neutral, the kind of coach that you love to watch as a neutral because he's such an offensive-minded coach, I think, is how we all play on FIFA or a football manager when you set up your team to go and attack and don't worry too much about the defence. But if he was the coach of my team, I think it might be a little bit more stressful. But, I mean, Girona plays some brilliant stuff and they just need to get the results because, I mean, scoring three goals against Real Sociedad, that doesn't happen every, every so often. I mean, that's a real achievement. But then if you concede five at the other end, then you're always going to have an uphill battle, aren't you? So, I mean, it will be interesting to see how Girona get on. And then let's discuss the last game of Sunday evening, Tom. I mean, a bit of a shock surprise, but almost in a way predictable that Real Madrid's winning streak, I mean, they'd won all nine games to start the season, including European games. And then they slipped up with a one-all draw at home to Osasuna. Yeah, I mean, from a neutral perspective, it's exactly the result that we wanted. We had Clasico around the corner, just one more match day to go until these two teams face off. And now they are level on points, Barcelona and Real Madrid, so that'll be an absolutely fascinating game. 
Um, but yeah, this Real Madrid side, you know, we've we've, we've spoke about it before on the podcast that they they, they grind out results. Um, it's not often that they, you know, Barcelona grinded out a result this weekend, but Barcelona seem to win games more convincingly, more often than Real Madrid. So they they are going to have their off days, and you know, they came up against an Osasuna side who we know how well Jagabada Sate sets up his team, but they were absolutely brilliant today. I thought, especially in the midfield, you know, Lucas Toro. John Moncayola, Darko Brasenac, with so many really good ball-playing players in there. And the way they were fizzing the ball about on a big pitch at Santiago Bernabeu is a really admirable, brave performance from Osasuna. And I think they deserved at least a point, really. And I was quite upset when David Garcia got sent off and the penalty was given because I thought that they were going to, you know, give away all their hard work in a moment of madness. But, you know, they deserved this point. Yeah, I think they could even have claim to deserve more than that. I mean, Vinicius's goal was a cross, which for me, I think Antonio Rudiger was interfering with the play. I mean, Sergio Herrera was kind of waiting to see if he got a touch. Rudiger stuck his leg out and he was offside, but VAR decided that he didn't interfere with play. So, I mean, there is question marks over that Real Madrid goal. And then the penalty, I mean, it was, it was so clear that Karim Benzema was doubting himself. I mean, I was just looking back at the game they had in April when Sergio Herrera saved two penalties from Karim Benzema, both of those low down in the corner, kind of the traditional Karim Benzema penalty. This one was much more power over placement and and he's hit the crossbar. So, I mean, you get inside Karim Benzema's head and his penalty record is usually very good. I think his overall conversion rate is 79.5%. So, I mean, you would expect him to score but then these kind of mind games and how much he was thinking about that game at El Salar in April, and it really did seem to have an impact. And I mean, for Real Madrid, it's only two points dropped so far this season, but this is a big blow, not just because of that, but because it means that they go below Barcelona in the standings. Now with Thibaut Courtois also out injured and facing a fitness race to be back in time for the Classic. I mean, their season has kind of gone from euphoria to maybe a little bit more complicated than it was at the start of the weekend. Yeah, I'd say so. I mean, it's not a disaster, of course, but um, the form of Karim Benzema does have to be a slight concern. Obviously, he really carried them to the La Liga title last season with all of his goals alongside Vinicius Junior. And he, he's not quite, you know, we were talking about Enes Unal before, not to compare the two, but a similar kind of, patch of form where nothing seems to be going in at the moment and he's taking a lot of shots and trying a lot of things and it's just not quite happening. It remains to be seen. I mean, he's obviously a world-class player and we saw some of the goals he scored last season. I mean, I, I remember in that Champions League semi-final against Manchester City, it was that goal that stood out to me, his kind of flicked finish where it must have been 0.02 XG and he, and he just scores. And that's what we've missed from Karim Benzema this season. He's not scored those goals out of nothing just yet just like Lewandowski did on this weekend. So, plenty of time, um, but I think Vinicius and Rodrigo will be looking to try and feed him as often as they can in the coming weeks, just to you know, get him back in amongst the goals and get him back firing again. Definitely. So, we will leave it there. A weekend of tales of goal scorers, some for good reasons, like Robert Lewandowski, some for the not-so-good reasons, like Karim Benzema. Tom, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you very much. And make sure you stay tuned to us at La Liga Lowdown on Twitter and at our newsletter at laligalowdown.substack.com for all the latest. We'll be covering all the European action in midweek and then we will be back next weekend as we keep the action going. Thanks for listening. Míralo. Míralo. Míralo.
¡Vaya gol! ¡Qué maravilla! ¡Qué golazo! ¡Mamma mía! ¡Vaya genio el control! ¡El espacio! ¡Vamos a ver fila! deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.